You don't have to turn there. We've looked at it enough through here, and so I'm just going to have it brought up. But in Ephesians chapter 4, we've been dealing with the idea of gift offices. If you notice the front of your bulletin says the gifts in the body, and that's exactly what we're looking at because they have to work in tandem with one another. So just by way of reminder to refresh you, what's up? Oh, Children's Church, sorry. No, children are in here today with us, right? No? Okay, never mind. Sorry. Man, you should have seen that look I got from Dusty Lee. No. Everybody go that way, that way, that way, that, 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 that way. Everybody? Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, just to remind you quickly about them. It says here, Jesus descended to the earth. He also ascended after his resurrection to the right hand of the Father. And now he has a ministry that's going on. The church is the body of Christ, and he desires, in his own supernatural and awesome way, in order to manifest what he desires to do. And if you look, uh, let's see here, he descended as himself, also he who ascended far above heaven, here it is, so that he might fill all things. If we were just reading that in devotional reading, we might think, man, that kind of sounds out there, super spiritual, weird. I don't exactly know what it means. Context always tells you. And so how is Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, now filling all things? Remember, all things will culminate in his glory. All people will bow their knee, whether seen or unseen. Celestial beings, human beings, it does not matter. Will all bow their knees and they will worship him and confess that he is the Lamb of God and they will all give him glory. It doesn't matter where they are. Above the earth, on the earth, under the earth, it does not matter. God has told us how the end is going to happen. But what is he doing right now? Well, we looked at the fact that he's given apostles. And apostles have been commissioned primarily of carrying out the message and manifesting more fully all that took place at the cross and resurrection. That's essentially what the rest of your New Testament is from Acts under Revelation. Then you have where it moves to prophets. And prophets are primarily those who are receiving the word of the Lord and transmitting the word of the Lord so it could be documented in what you and I have today. Last week, we saw the idea of evangelists. And while there is an office of evangelists, there is no gift of evangelism. Everyone has been mandated to share the gospel. The office of an evangelist is to come in and to train and encourage and lead that serving of lost people. By knowing the idea of justification inside and out and being able to clearly communicate the gospel of Christ. Some of you are familiar with Charlie Bing, yes? Charlie Bing is a smart, smart theologian. But if you ask him, he'll actually tell you, I'm an evangelist at heart. That's why I went uh, to school. In fact, he just wrote a book just for fishermen. Sounds like the most boring thing in the world. But he wrote this book. He'll probably hear that and be mad. He, he He wrote this book to give to people who are lost, who are fishermen, so that when they get to the end, he can connect his fishing stories to the idea of Jesus sending people out to be fishers of men because Jesus loves people. I think that's fantastic. And so that's one way as an evangelist, he tries to dispense his ministry in order for the encouragement of other people and that the lost would be saved. But now we deal with the idea of pastors. Pastors are a gift. I don't take that lightly. And I don't seek to grovel in that or think that I deserve accolades for that. But I will tell you this. When the Lord called me to ministry and called me to be a pastor, I was never more certain of anything in my life. In fact, let me give you the brief little story. 
okay? Southern Indiana. I'm at a retirement home, and I'm in the back of this U-Haul truck. I wasn't there to see you. Don't worry about it, Jake. I'm in the back of this truck, and I used to, st- I used to stock snack machines and Coke machines. And so I'm filling orders, and I'm getting everything together, and I got my dolly out, and it's all going, and I've got my sheet. I'm looking at everything, and I'm listening to someone preach because it's freezing outside. And real quick, humidity's super bad in southern Indiana. So, you know, it's, it's 15 degrees here. I love it. I absolutely love it. I know some of you may not, but I think it's fantastic. Because 15 degrees here feels like 45 degrees there, okay? That's the difference. So I'm back here freezing, doing my thing. Somebody, I've got the the van on to blow air through to the back of this, and somebody's preaching, and all of a sudden it was like, you should be preaching. And I immediately picked up the phone, and I go, babe, yeah, what's wrong, what's wrong? I think I'm called to be a, a, a preacher. She said, well, I already knew that. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? She's like, I thought you knew. (laughs) Newlywed communication. Moving on. But I was never more certain of anything in my life, and everything changed to go into that direction. One of the most important things that needs to happen is when you view what it is to be a pastor, you need to know what the Word says about being a pastor. Because if you are a pastor, apart from what the Word says, you're not a pastor. And I think the most important thing that we could do is let this serve as our bifocals of which to view the world. Because I will tell you this, I'm not worried about everywhere else right now. The American church is in in an incredible state of trouble, an incredible state of trouble. And I don't know if you've noticed what's gone on, but people have been all concerned with business model ideas because all that matters is growth and growth is measured by numbers. And so what happens is, is you send some people out to find someone who can kind of okay communicate the word and understand what it means, and so they go to school to learn how to do that. But what they really are, they are CEOs. And you've brought in somebody to be the chief executive officer who has turned around and come up with all these tactics about how, how to go about filling the seats with everybody so that looks like what growth has gone on. And I've seen this happen, and I've been to some of these seminars where these people are trying to promote what goes on. Ed Young Jr. is one of them. And he'll tell you, if somebody gets upset and leaves the church, doesn't like something that you're doing, bye, we didn't need you anyway. He'll actually tell you that. Go ahead and move on. There's not a care for people, there's just a desire for results. And the results that they're desirous of are not biblical results. I mean, think about it. Acts chapter 1. Oh, let's back up. Would everybody agree that Jesus is the greatest pastor that's ever lived? Okay, so we understand that. If we want to look at what it is to be a pastor, we would see Jesus. Acts chapter 1. He's ascended into heaven. They're all waiting, praying, right? Waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. He promised to come. Anybody remember the number of people huddled there that are praying? 120. 120. Now, pause for a second. Don't you think that Jesus, being the greatest pastor ever, would have got better results than 120 people? Or... Did he have a greater, more spiritually discerned plan going on of which God was going to execute through many people by whom he influenced? Everybody see that? Big difference. So the idea of numerical growth, it's got to go out the window. Not even worried about it. But what we do need to be concerned about is what it is to be well-discipled believers in Jesus Christ so that we are living the Christ life daily for everyone to see. That's what we need to look for. 
So everybody see this word pastor here? Interesting thing. This is the only time in all of the New Testament this word is ever translated pastor. Only time. How else is it translated? The word pastor is poimain. Is how you say that. Definition number one from the lexicon, one who herds sheep. A shepherd or a sheep herder. Number two, one who serves as a guardian or a leader. How's it translated? Shepherd. How about the next one? Another lexicon I looked at, one who is responsible for the care and guidance of a Christian congregation. Now, if you look at any of the derivatives of this word, or go through the lexicon and check it out. It's the idea of leading. It's the idea of guiding. It's the idea of protecting. It's the idea of caring for. And it's also the idea of nurturing. And it is all in the context of how a shepherd is engaged with sheep. And so I came up with this definition. I don't know if it's a good one. If you hate it, tell me later, okay? One who is called to the soul care of God's people. That's what I was able to deduce from what I checked in the Bible. One who is called to the soul care of God's people. Now, what do we mean by that? Let's go to a graphic that you've seen ad nauseum and probably have dreams about if you've been with us for any time. This right here is what is known as the trichotomy of man. Okay, we are actually a tripartite being made up in three sections. Body being, of course, what we all understand here, which touches the outside world, our senses, those types of things. Spirit, which is deep inside, and that is the base connecting point with God. So when you become a believer in Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells you, he sets up shop in your spirit. Everything else is cleaned out and your spirit is made righteous at that moment. Your spirit, Holy Spirit, testifying that you're a child of God. But what, what really gets us is this middle section around here, the soul. And if you notice, it's divided up into three parts. The mind, the will, and the emotions. And there's where we get all kinds of fuzzy and wrong about everything that goes on. Those are the issues that need care. If you're caring for the soul, the body will follow. Everybody see that? The body is just the acting out point of what's really going on in your decision-making process. And you're either in tune with where your spirit is with God or you're dissonant with where your spirit is with God. And that's where the word of God needs to come in to recorrect us and get us back on the straight road. Now, if you notice, sin for the unregenerate person, someone who doesn't know Christ, we would say the lost person, affects all three of those areas. Sin is always the problem. If sin is always the problem, that means that Jesus is always the solution. And last time I checked, Jesus has a lot to say about sin and how he deals with it. And he's got all kinds of motivations for what happens. This is the pastor's tool in order to administer soul care. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week because we're actually going to spend two weeks on pastors. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to do that. Moving on. Here was an interesting passage that I thought was pertinent. Hebrews 13. You don't have to turn there if you want to write it down. We're going to go back to Ezekiel here in just a second. Obey your leaders and submit to them. We immediately hate that. Why? Because it's our two least favorite words, obey and submit. Let's be honest. There's something about our flesh that just grovels against that whenever we see it. But God gave leaders for a reason. Obey your leaders and submit to them for, here's the explanation, they keep watch over your what? Think about that. They keep watch over your mind, over your will, and over your emotions. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. See, it's not that I'm just here with a Bible in my hand to beat you over the head and to tell you what to do. That's abuse. 
the idea is understanding that God's way is the best way. And in our lives for believers in Christ who have the Holy Spirit, it's the only way. So anytime that we're opting for another way or taking a detour in our lives to what we think will better satisfy us, that means that the mind, will, and emotions have bought into a plan that they think supersedes the Word of God. So my role, and let me tell you, it's a lot of fun. I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, just letting you know. Is to come in with the Word of God and to say, here's how things are going. But here's what God's Word says. And this is the better direction to take. Let's execute this. And let's eradicate that. Now why do I do that? Be faithful at it. Because I'm going to give an account. Because when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to give an account for how I stewarded what was given to me while I was in the body on earth, the question that Jesus is going to ask me is, how did you shepherd my sheep? You are simply an under-shepherd to me, but they are mine. How did you do with my stuff? Anybody ever taken care of somebody's stuff before? Anybody ever taken care of somebody's stuff and you kind of wish you would have taken out something like renter's insurance when you did? Because you gave it back to them all mangled. I told you guys about my Chuck Swindoll Life of Paul CDs. I tell you about that. No, I let somebody borrow those, right? Because somebody asked if you're supposed to freely give, so I got the Sermon on the Mount playing them in my head, right? Freely give to them. It'd be edifying for a brother in Christ. Good grief. You would have thought that cats were playing it the whole time. All eight CDs in it just look like they've been grilled in a microwave for four seconds, which, by the way, if you do that, creates an electrical storm. It's really cool. Don't recommend it. Don't recommend it, but it's really cool. Anyway, moving on. I got them back. Horrible shape. Horrible shape. How did you steward somebody else's things? People. And if we know anything, we know that God is in the business of loving people. They'll give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. Because there's both emotions involved. For this would be unprofitable for you. In other words, if the pastor, and we're going to expand that meaning here in a second, is having to dispense ministry and be faithful to God's word, and it is a grievous process, you will find that nothing will benefit you out of it. Why? What do you think would keep a pastor from dispensing his ministry with joy? Sin. Anybody know what sin does to the heart? Hardness. Hardness of heart. Obstinance to God's word not willing to be follow ground so that the Lord can plant deeper seeds and lay deeper roots so that we would be changed by it. That's what the Word of God is about. The Word of God is about changing people, and that is the pastor's goal, to dispense the Word of God in such a way as to where people are changed and they can no longer be the same. Not because of who I am or what I'm called to do. Go out there and listen. I am not the most eloquent dude on the block, okay? But it doesn't change the fact that I understand what I've been called to and the fact that I know that I've been called here. Can we be follow ground of which to receive the word of God? We'll look at that a little bit more in a second. Here are the uses of pastor. Now you're in Ezekiel 34. And here's why this is interesting is, is of course you understand that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. But there came a time when it was translated from Hebrew into Greek in between the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. So the first place that you find this, a very prominent place, is in Ezekiel 34, using this whole analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. So look at verse 23 and 24. Very interesting. Because this talks about what God is going to do, what Yahweh is going to do, in intervening for the lostness that the shepherds of Israel has caused in scattering, straying, not feeding the sheep, abusing the sheep, taking advantage of the sheep, all these kind of problems. So what does God do? God comes in with judgment and he sets things right. Look at verse 23. Then I will set over them one what? Shepherd. Anybody want to take an educated Sunday school guess of who this one shepherd is? Jesus. Praise God. He is the ultimate shepherd. I will set over them one shepherd. My servant, David. Why? Why does he say that? Because he's from the line of David, the royal kingly line. And will feed them. Isn't that the problem? Now notice, isn't it interesting that the emphasis is upon feeding the sheep? It's incredibly important. He will feed them. He will feed them from, or sorry, he will feed them. Look what it says. What? Himself. Is he talking about cannibalism? No. Jesus is the Word of God, yes. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Isn't what we hold a living book? Yeah. Notice what he's going to feed them. He's going to feed them the very Word of God. He's going to feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, Yahweh, will be their Elohim, their God. And my servant David, (coughs) excuse me, will be prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. Maybe it makes you think to Psalm 23, the Lord is my... Interesting, isn't it? When he comes along, he is going to feed them. Now, you don't have to turn here. Just look up at the screen. You can document this and write it later. But moving into the New Testament, we find another use of the word poimain, which is pastor in Ephesians 4.11 only. We find this also in Matthew 26, 31. And there's some other passages too. You can look this up on your own, but I don't want to bog it down so we can get through all of this. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, talking to his disciples. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Shepherd, poimain, translated as shepherd. How about the next one here? What was this one here? Um, 1 Peter 2, 25. And I want you to see this when we talk about the idea that the pastor is in the business of soul care. For you are continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd, poimain, and, very interesting word, guardian of your what? Mind, will, emotions. Soul can also be translated as life. That's the model that Jesus sets forth. Everybody see this word guardian? Interesting word. It's the idea of, in fact, I'm going to tell you wrong. Now, my mind is just now wanting to tell me no. So let me not be a liar. Forgive me. Episcopos. It usually refers to those who are leaders over the church. It's where we get the word episcopal from. The idea of a guardian. In fact, if you notice your marginal, if you, though, sorry, I didn't have you turn there. The marginal note, sometimes it's translated as a bishop or an overseer is the idea. Now, that's interesting. Because if the idea of shepherding is connected to Jesus Christ this way, then here's what that tells you. It tells you that the idea of what constitutes a pastor and a shepherd in the church actually extends beyond the one who is solely designated for preaching and teaching. It actually branches into the idea of who the elders are over the church. 
And that's important for us to understand. So everything we're going to look at is modeled in the person of Jesus Christ. It all constitutes in the idea of what it is to shepherd sheep and all of the different intricacies and idiosyncrasies that go with that, but it also expands into a much broader umbrella than just one guy standing up front with the Word of God. How about the pastor as an example? Do this with me, please. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Look at that with me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13. It says, remember those who led you. And notice how they're qualified. Who spoke the word of God to you. In other words, everything that they had to say to pour into your life, it's because it came from His word. And considering the results, in other words, you are to examine or you're to look over carefully the way of life of their conduct and to imitate their faith or to model their faith. Now that's a high bar. In other words, when you look at me and when you look at the elders of Grace Bible Church, you should be considering the outcome of their lives. You should be examining carefully choices that they make. You should be seeing the result of their actions. I'll go ahead and say it. You want to ask that question in the back. Is that guy a jerk? Right? I can't believe him. He's so full of himself. That's how you know that you've transferred from pastor into CEO mentality. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Not the elders. Not the pastor. Only Jesus Christ. And so our lives up for display? Yes. All of it. To see how it's going. How are they doing? They made this decision. What does it look like when it pans out? How about turn back to your left here to 1 Timothy. 1 2 Timothy Titus, known as the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're actually going to spend some time in this chapter next week, but I want you to look at verse 12 in particular. It says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, what they say, conduct, how they act, love, their care, their selfless care for others, faith, their belief in what God can do, and purity keeping their lives untainted from evil. Show yourself an example of those who believe. In other words, to stand up as what should be the cookie cutter, seeking to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ at all costs for the sake of others to follow. This is why Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. He understood the high stakes of what it was to model Something like that. Now let's look at the temperament of a pastor. 1 Peter 5, and we're going to camp here for a little bit. 1 Peter 5. Now we've talked about poimain, pastor, predominantly translated as shepherd. 
a lot of what has to do with Jesus being translated that way in the Greek. We talked about episkopos, which is the idea of an overseer, and also the idea of watching over souls and shepherding is connected to that. But we have a new interesting word here in 1 Peter 5. Now the context here is talking about what it is to endure suffering and hardship faithfully, entrusting yourself to the Lord in those situations. Now, let me state this real quick because sometimes we read suffering passages and we look at our lives and if there is any type of abuse that is taking place in our lives, we immediately think, well, it's my job as a Christian to undergo and to abstain and uphold through that abuse. Let me tell you this. If it's domestic abuse, if it's verbal abuse, if it is sexual abuse, that is not God's will for your life and especially for your marriage. Get out. That is incredibly important for you to understand. This context is talking about suffering for being a Christian. And if we have a problem with husbands being dominating and domineering over their wives saying, well, you're supposed to submit to me. Guys, be worthy of submitting too. This is a very serious issue that goes often skirted over in churches. But there is no place in God's will and there is no desire of God to see any sort of abuse like that taking place amongst his children. It's insane. That's of the world. That's of Satan. So don't let anything trick your mind into thinking that's acceptable. It is not. This context deals with suffering for the sake of Christ and glorifying his name. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the presbuteros. That's fun to say. Let's all say that together, presbuteros. Let's say presbuteros. See, you like it, and you're going to say it later on the way home. Okay? Presbuteros. Elders. Now, it can mean those who are older, so that's definitely Chuck, right? But it can also mean those who have been placed in a leadership position within the church, which is also Chuck. Who knows? Moving on. I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So notice, he's talking about what's out ahead. This is important because it frames what he's going to say. Verse 2, and this is a derivative of poimene. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Tend to them. Lead them. Nurture them. Love them. Care for them. And notice he's writing to elders. He's using a derivative of the word, poimain, and he's connecting it all together with the whole flock motif. Does everybody see this, how it all connects together? Shepherd the flock of God among you. Number one, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight, a derivative of episkopos. There it is. Overseeing people, giving attention to them, being their guardian, being a safeguard for the sheep. Not under compulsion. In other words, you're constrained to do so. This is not something, there's stress involved, but it's not something that you should be constantly stressed out about all the time. Now, how does that make a difference? Because it's the difference from being called to that office and trying to assume that office when you haven't been called because you consider it a job or a place of honor. It is not. It is a place of service. And you have to be called. All of these offices are service-oriented offices. The gift is always the low road. It's never the high road. 
Those who serve now will be glorified later, but you don't get the glory now. That's how your church runs into a ditch. It says here, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, willingly, desirously wanting to minister and shepherd the flock according to the will of God. Now, why is that important? What is the will of God? Anybody know? You're holding it. The Word of God. The Word of God gives you the guardrails of understanding the will of God. Operate within the confines of God's will. It says here, and not for sordid gain, not greedy, not being dishonest in your dealings with other people, but with eagerness. In other words, zealousness. In fact, this Greek word is very interesting. It's a compound word, uh, two Greek words. It's the idea of pro, which means forward, and then themos, which is the idea of heart or spirit. It's the idea of when you go to eat, when you go to minister and shepherd the sheep, there's an eagerness there. There's a forwardness of spirit that wants to get involved and see the word of God change lives. Verse three, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. In other words, not demeaning, not domineering, not demoralizing, not abusive, not lording it over. Pastors and elders are not lords. They're servants of the Most High God. They're servants who are answerable to Jesus Christ. It says here, not lording it over those allotted to your charge. And notice that emphasizes a local church context. But look what it says. But proving to be, what's the word? Examples to the flock. In other words, a copy or an image. An impression is what the Greek word means. An impression that has been left that you can notice the difference that's been made. That's the goal to move forward. So when you're dealing with the flock in that way, look what happens, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, notice it uses him as the chief shepherd of the body of Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Giving account for the souls of people, if you've done so faithfully, not because you had to, but because you wanted to, because you understood that you were called to it, because you're not looking to get your way over people, you're looking to help them on their way to better know Jesus Christ. In doing that, reward is promised. In fact, the unfading crown of glory, this is the only time that that is mentioned in Scripture. It's specially designated for shepherds who shepherd well. Take your finger, turn back with me to the left, to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 20. And here's what's interesting about Acts chapter 20 is this is Paul talking to the elders from the church of Ephesus for the last time. If you know anything about the New Testament ministry, Paul, when he set out to do missions, he would go place, stay a little while, teach, train up some elders, put them in charge, go on to the next place. And then when he was coming back through, he would check in, see how everybody was doing, teach for a while, come in. But with Ephesus, it was a completely different deal. When he came to Ephesus, he set up shop for three years there. And he had longer ministry there than anywhere else. Now, that's incredibly interesting to me because when you read First and Second Timothy, it's because Paul later had to send Timothy to be the pastor of Ephesus because everything was so crazy. And if you know anything about Revelation chapter 2, the very first church from verses 1 to 7, Jesus Christ has John write that addressing it to the church in Ephesus. So we know a lot about this church, 
There was a lot of crazy things that went on that. And it kind of makes you wonder why Paul felt the need to get there and get invested in them, teaching them from God's word a lot. There was a lot that fell off the wagon after the he after he left. So here he is knowing that he won't see them again, and he's giving them some parting words. And watch what happens here, starting in verse 28. He tells them, be on guard for yourselves first. Why? Because we're all very prone to be self-deceived. That's not hard. You get a little bit off of the word of God at the start, And keep following that path, you find out how far apart you've really gotten at the end. So notice, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Everybody see the imagery that's put forward there. He's talking to them with the shepherd motif. For all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, there's Episcopos again, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. In other words, the flock has been paid for with the blood of Christ. There's your incentive to steward well. There's your incentive to minister humbly. Because the extravagant price that was paid in order to purchase people from the kingdom of darkness. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, watch this, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Anybody know what wolves have a taste for? Blood. And they love sheep. And they will kill sheep. And they will devour sheep. And so it is the elders' responsibility as the guardians, as the overseers, as those who are to be able to teach and dispensing Bible doctrine and is to be so thoroughly tethered and threaded through everything that the church does is to keep everybody's mind on task with the word of God, calling to live out faith by trusting in Christ more and more and more with every area of your life according to God's word, because there's going to be some people that are going to come in and want to topple the ship quickly. That's the threat from outside. Now, what's very interesting is notice the next verse. Verse 30, and from among your own selves. Isn't that interesting? The threat also is from the inside. Men will arise. And here's how you know who they are. Speaking perverse Things. Now that doesn't just mean the idea of dirty. That's probably a further understanding of that. The idea is, is that things that are twisted, doctrine that's been twisted in some way. They're speaking perverse things. And what happens? To draw away the disciples after who? Them. Which means the mark of dangers inside the church is pride and self-exaltation. It's somebody who wants to get ahead in order to make much of themselves. That's the danger from the inside. Now, we're going to continue more of looking at some of those things that round out this understanding of pastor a little bit better next week. But I want to keep concise with what we're doing. If you have those charts that we passed out last week, if not, we've got some in the back that you can fill out just on that table back there. Uh, But if you're wanting to fill in, what is the main issue that takes place with the role of pastor. If you remember apostles, it was the authority, but also the fact that the New Testament is now closed. There's no additional revelation that God is going to add beyond the book of Revelation. 
The idea of prophets was authority because of having the word of God. That's where the authority lies, not in the person, but in the word. And the idea of inerrancy, that when God speaks, he doesn't make mistakes. In fact, I just saw a video not too long ago. You might be able to look it up and find it from one of the Bethel churches. And the lady's up there talking about how she's in charge of the introduction to prophetic ministries for their Bible college that she has. And she says, sometimes we all just get together and we just start saying all kinds of things and we just practice prophesying. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? And she goes, yep, and guess what? Sometimes we get it wrong. And that's where you go, it's from Satan. That's why. It's not from God. He doesn't have anything new to reveal. Look it up sometimes. It's a hoot. Make you throw up too. Evangelists. Authority, why? Because of the word of God. But then we also saw the ability. What can the word of God do? When someone hears the gospel and believes, it transfers them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. It gives them the indwelling Holy Spirit. They are now regenerate, made alive, redeemed and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They have eternal life that can never be lost. That's the ability and that's why the evangelist dispenses ministry. But when you talk about the pastor, is the pastor responsible for doing the job of an evangelist? Yeah, we saw that last week. That's part of it. But notice also that it's about authority. Why? Because the word is the main tool. But it's also about what changes people. The word of God was not meant to just sit on the page. It may be written in black and white, but it wants to be thoroughly ingrained in your heart and changing your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's where my task comes into play. In my office, I have a, a paper up, and it says, what is my win? My win, what I hope is accomplished after every Sunday. The idea is that everybody here would walk out the doors, not able to continue to function in the same way because of what we've learned from the Word of God will at least change our thinking on such situations. God's Word is true. There is no other truth. There is no competing truth. There is no more relevant truth. There is no, well, that's old-fashioned and times have changed and here's what we're doing now. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but that ain't worked out very well. God's Word has never changed. Nothing's ever been found wrong with it. And people have had thousands of years to try to find it. So this is the instrument for change. If you're a believer in Christ, God's already given you the Holy Spirit. That's half the equation. He's the one that does the work with the putty we give him. The Word of God is the putty that we put in His hands. He's the one who does the change. So when we talk about what is the role of a pastor, of a shepherd, of sheep, it is to feed the sheep. When the sheep are neglected in Ezekiel 34, God will put forward a shepherd who will feed them. Here's the interesting thing. That's all you need. All you need is the Word of God. That's it. My wife and I were having a funny conversation. Somebody had posted out, hey, does anybody know of any Bible studies we could do coming up? Anybody want to recommend any books? Somebody posted, you ever thought about the Bible? <laughs> Seems kind of concerning that churches are asking that question. But guys, that's where we are. We want something else other than the Word of God. Why? Because let's be honest, where we're at in our lives and a lot of the things that we entertain with sin... We just can't digest it very well. We're not willing to chew on it. We're not willing to trust it to do the difference in us that needs to happen. Guys, that's my calling. My calling is to put the Word of God in front of you and to show you from the text how things need to be different. 
Let's look at a couple of examples of this. I want you to look these up, please. You're already in Acts chapter 20. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says here, Therefore, be on the alert. Why? Because there's threats from the outside, and there are threats from the inside, and they are going to try to mess with your soul. Look what he says. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. This word, admonish, is incredibly interesting. And it's the Greek word, nutheteo. And I probably said that wrong, and Pastor Steve will correct me. But this is actually what has been coined as a word that is used today in church circles called nuthetic counseling. The word means to give instruction from God's word. And the idea is admonishing someone, exhorting them, encouraging them, building them up. But the source material does not change. It is the word of God through and through. So it's not about, well, I'm mad at Jeremy for what he told me. No, be mad at God. He can handle it. Me, I'm a child. I can't handle it. Don't don't be upset with me. Okay? God can handle it. And it's God's word. So we have to deal with him. Remember, when he speaks, he's right. When he speaks, he's pretty clear if we're just willing to see. To have eyes to see and ears to hear. So when he says here, how do you handle this situation? Well, Paul stayed with them and he knew the teo, gave instruction and admonished them, each one of them, with tears for a period of three years. Look what he tells them to do. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What is it able to do? It is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, who are set apart. In other words, he's commending them to God as their authority and the word of his grace as what is to lead the change from which you admonish and give instruction. Why? Because the result that comes out is that as a believer, when you trust it, sin goes to the wayside and God begins piling up rewards that he wants to give you for simply trusting what he has said to be a reality in your daily life. It's already true. The question is, is is it effectual in your life because you've embraced it? The word of God is the only thing that they're to give forward in order for that to take place and happen. So that's what he commissions the elders to do. One last scripture here, James 1. Turn with me to write to James 1. Very important verse. James is the half-brother of Jesus. If you're reading through Acts, you will notice that a James comes up who is the head of the church in Jerusalem. It's the same guy. So he understands the idea of pastoring, shepherding, overseeing, being a bishop, however you want to say that, being a servant in this way. And here's what he says, James 1, verse 21. Look at it. He tells his readers, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, or maybe you have the ESV, the translation is rampant wickedness. Now pause for a second. Notice that he's writing to Christians. These are not people who, well, we don't know if they're saved. No, he's writing to believers in Christ, which means that it's possible for believers in Christ to have filthiness and rampant wickedness in their lives. What's James's counsel to us? Set it aside. 
It's not worth it. Identify what it is. Don't act like you don't know what it is. You know what it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't try to hide it. Identify what it is. Set it aside. Take it off like a shirt. Take it off. It's not the shirt you want to wear. Put it to the side here. And then what? Look what he says. In humility. Ah. Notice the first thing that's got to happen is an attitude. I've got to have a mental attitude towards God's word and understanding that it's beneficial for me. Now, let me say this, and I'm not saying this because I'm looking out and noticing anything in particular, but think about this for a second, because you all are very kind and cordial people. But if you might be thinking right now, good grief, I am so bored by everything he's saying. And it's possible, I've had worse. Nobody's sleeping right now, praise Jesus, right? But think for a second what we're talking about. Is that revealing that I'm just terrible at dispensing God's word? Possible. Or is it the idea that the heart has been disconnected in some way? That you know better than what God's word has to say. I think that's important for us to evaluate. Because why did you come to church today? Hopefully you came to be with God's people. But that's a tertiary issue. Hopefully you came in order to sing praises. Now we're getting more towards the center of it. But my greatest concern would be that you want to be in the presence of God with your brothers and sisters so that you walk away more conformed to the image of His Son. That's the pinnacle goal, and that's what Scripture desires to do. So any filthiness or rampant wickedness, this is why we do 1 John 1, 9 and have a confession of sin time before we start here. Set it aside. Take up an attitude of humility, which means we're not entitled, you know, And let's be honest, guys. In our culture, we've given our kids everything and they've come off more entitled and we wonder what's wrong. Okay? So this entitlement, contemporary mindset, got to go, humility. Better, others are better than myself idea. I don't know it all. I need wisdom. That idea. And look what it says here. Receive the what? The word. And where is it? Implanted. It's already there. God has already given you all the receptors to get his signal. He's already transmitting. What's the problem? Filthiness and rampant wickedness are preventing successful connection. Get it out of the way. Humble yourself and receive the word that is already there. Look what it says. Which is able to save your what? Your mind, your will, your emotions, your life. This is about believers living redeemed. What makes the difference? The Word of God is the only thing that brings change. Let's pray. Thank you, Father in heaven, for the Word of God, that it is the means of change, that the Holy Spirit indwelling is the change agent. We thank you, God, that you've not been silent, but you've spoken and spoken clearly. Father, may we receive it today. If we have filthiness and rampant wickedness that is preventing this, Father, bring us to our knees, humble our hearts, that we need to confess this before you and receive your divine word. Change us, O Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.